Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. So we're getting close towards the end of the Beatitudes. And this week, in verse 8, we see, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, I've noticed this week and every day of my life, and we all can as we look back, that we as human beings get things wrong. Um, we get things wrong. I, I don't think y'all heard the beginning of our story. We went to look at a van this week in Little Rock. We got there, and the salesman had lost the key to the van. So we did not purchase that van this weekend. But this, it's typical of our behavior. We get things wrong, or if we want to say it, we fail to get things right. Um, and this is in many ways, many, many ways, following instructions. This is a hard one for us. Following instructions. Uh, putting things together. And they give you directions, right? You open a box, it says, do it this way. All you got to do is read it and do it that way. But if you don't follow the instructions, the product probably won't come out the way it's supposed to. I remember putting together one of the beds, a bed for one of the kids. And you've got holes on poles every which way. And when I got halfway done, I realized that one of the, pole, one of the main bed frame poles... The holes were on the wrong side, so I had to stop, take it down, and start back over because I didn't look at the instructions, right? Um, or if you're receiving directions, how often do we get those wrong when someone is just telling us where to go? Uh, we were heading to a ball game the other day, and we didn't know where the ballpark was. Luckily, there were people in town so I pulled up, and uh, so I was like, ask this guy. I was like, hey, where's the ballpark? And he starts telling me, and as he's telling me, I'm thinking about something else. I'm not listening to the guy that's giving me directions of where I need to go. I hear a few things. I hear a few turns, a few streets, or a few uh, landmarks. But when we pull away, I'm thinking, I didn't listen. And so, you know, we end up late to a ball game because... We had to drive here and there to figure out where to go. But if we just had to just listen, follow the instructions, stay focused, or even if, even if we're doing something simple as listening to someone's story, right? Someone's telling us a story, or maybe we're watching a movie or reading a book. Uh, if someone's telling us a story and you kind of doze off and, what you're, and you miss a part of the story and it finishes and you think, wait, that story didn't make any sense because, and you realize it's because you missed a part of it. I don't know if you're like me. If I'm watching a movie at home, if I've got to go to the bathroom or get the popcorn, I have to pause it. Like, huh? Oh, yeah. If, Sylvia, if Sylvia's like wanting to ask me something, I'm like, okay, now what? Because I, I want I, if I get to the end of the movie, I want to make sure I picked it all up. Because if you get to the end of a story and you haven't got it all all the pieces right, 
or you've missed something, the full story isn't going to make any sense. Or as again, with the directions, if you don't put it together the way you're supposed to, then when you put it together, it doesn't come out the way it's supposed to be. And I know you've probably, we've all been trained at work, or if you're a parent, you've tried to train your children, and they say, you do it this way, this way, and this way, and then you're like, oh, okay. But then you miss out on the end where they say, because of this. And so you miss the because. So then the next day you try to do it. Oh, I think I could do it a different way, even though they told me to do it this way. And this, I think we'll get the same result. Well, if you miss the reason why you're supposed to do it a certain way, then you're never going to get it done right. And you're never going to have the outcome that you need, usually because you think you know of a better way or you've misunderstood. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus correcting all of those problems with Israel. Israel has received God's word. They've, re- they've received the commandments. They've, uh, they know the testimonies about God. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus coming and filling in the parts they missed. Uh, Telling them that they have put together that which God told them to put together the wrong way. He's trying to form it and shape it or finish the story, fill in the gaps, set the course right for Israel. It's as if for a while, imagine a ship being captain or steered by the first mate and the captain comes from underneath the deck and they're way off course. And Jesus, the captain, is like, no, Israel, we've got to go back this direction. This is where you're supposed to be. Because they haven't followed or paid attention to what God has said throughout all of the history of Israel, which would be the Old Testament. Israel has a long history and tradition of missing the point. And ultimately, so do we. But in this beatitude, he's setting the course straight on purity, on purification, on being clean. So in the first few beatitudes, he, 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 he sets some things straight with poverty. It's not being poor with money that's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. It's not you being poor because you don't have any money doesn't make you a citizen of heaven. Being poor in spirit does. Um, being powerful and having uh, standing over other people isn't what is important for the kingdom, but the meek will inherit the earth. Or those who are hunger, those who hunger and thirst for food and water, it's not that important, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. So he sets the course right for all of these beatitudes and he does it with this with purification as well his israel has a long history and tradition of water purification sounds real interesting right water purification ritual cleansing washing their hands or their clothes god gave israel specific instructions on these things and here's the problem they missed the point They missed the point on why they should do what God had told them to do. So this morning, I've got some headings. 
that have come to mind as I was thinking through this, and I, I just want to walk through these. The first one is, as we think about purity, but also we think about the last part of the Beatitude. What does it say? For they shall see God. The pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we're going to have sort of a Sunday school lesson on seeing God and purification. So the first heading that I have is no one can see God. Okay? No one can see God. No one has seen God. That's the Apostle John in John chapter 1. No one has seen God. Now, the Bible is clear in telling us that direct, telling us indirectly and directly that no one has seen God. John does it. He says no one has seen God. Uh, and God takes, he does take form, right? The angel of the Lord, a burning bush. God does take form and people have seen that. Isaiah saw God in a vision, right? So there are different ways that God has revealed himself in the Old Testament, but to plainly see God isn't possible. Um, And when you read Scripture, you kind of pick up on this because what happens when God does appear in some form to a person? What is their first response? Oh, yay. No, it's fear, right? They, They know that there's something about being in God's presence that isn't good. And so we get this sense as we read through the Old Testament that people who encounter God or even heavenly beings realize that they cannot see God. Now, what's the main reason that keeps us from seeing God? And we, we read Exodus 33 And Moses says, hey, God, I want to see you. Like, I want to see you. Because he's going into the promised land, and he's doing this big thing. And God has actually said, you know what? I'm not going with y'all because of the way you behave. I'm not going with you. And Moses says, well, then I don't want to go if you're not going. And he takes it a step further, and he's like, if you have found favor in me, I I just want you to show yourself to me. I want to see your glory. No man can see God's glory. And we'll, we'll, we'll look back at that in just a minute. But what keeps us from seeing God? Two things. One, this is kind of too simple. The, the thing that keeps us from seeing God is one, God, and two, us. God in His being, in His characteristics, and his infinite holiness and righteousness is the number one reason why we cannot see God. Uh, Wednesday night with the kids, and we brought this up with the, with the teenagers, we saw that God is infinite. And on Wednesday nights, on our uh, youth Wednesday night, we're going through who God is. We're learning about God. And we saw that he was infinite. He is infinite. And his being and his characteristics... His holiness is infinite. His righteousness is infinite. Now imagine a light with infinite power. 
Because what do we say God is? God is light. And in him, in him is no darkness at all. Imagine a light with infinite power. You could not be in its presence. Now, the first thing was God, and the second thing is us, our person, and our being. If God is light, then we are dark. Our, our nature, our being compared to God is evil. It is wickedness. Now, we don't want to go around and say, you're evil, you're wicked. But in, in comparison to God, our being, our nature is anti-God. It is wicked. Now, what does light do to darkness? It destroys it. Darkness is the absence of light. So when you have darkness and light appears, the darkness is gone. And in the same sense, that would be us. That would have been Moses on the rock. He said, God, I want to see your glory. Let me, let's just, let me remind you what God's response to him was. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Exodus thirty-three twenty. Man shall not see me and live. Light destroys darkness. Good overcomes evil. Now, we've kind of got to get past this sense that we say that, you know, Sinners go to hell and, and saints and believers go to heaven because sin can't be in the presence of God. Now that seems like a pretty fair statement that sin can't be in the presence of God. Because, you know, just kind of thinking through it. But if you look through Scripture, God can be in the presence of sin. Sin can exist in the presence of God. See that... Not, Sin isn't going to keep God from going somewhere. Nothing is going to keep God from being present somewhere. But if something is in God's presence that is not right, that's the thing that's going to have to go. See what I'm saying? God can go anywhere. He can be in anyone's presence. But man cannot be, sinful man cannot be in God's presence. Because as he tells Moses, he cannot live. He would be destroyed. Light destroys darkness. No man or woman can see God. The second heading is kind of ironic. God wants to be seen. And that might not seem intuitive, but God wants to be seen. Think about the end of Scripture, Revelation, the end of the story. Revelation 21.3 says, The dwelling place of God is with man. And it says in Revelation 21, excuse me, 22, that there is no temple when Christ returns. There is nothing to hinder God's presence when He returns at the end of the age. And see, this... It actually starts in the garden. 
God wanting to be seen by man begins in the garden. And you see it as you go throughout Scripture. Uh, If you're still in Exodus, look at verse 25. Or chapter 25, I'm, I'm sorry. Chapter 25. God wants to be seen and He comes to Israel and He tells Moses in verse 8 of chapter 25, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So they've just left Egypt. God has given them the law. And he says, I want to be in their midst. I want to dwell among them. So build this sanctuary. Build this tabernacle. But you still have this problem, don't you? Of God's character. Of God's infinite being and holiness and righteousness. Dwelling among a sinful people. That's still a problem. There is a book that we have for our kids. I can't remember what it's called. The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And it begins with God creating the Garden of Eden. And God dwells with Adam and Eve. And what does Adam and Eve do? But they sin. And what does he do? He removes them from the garden. And he says in the book, paraphrasing scripture, because of your sin, you cannot come in. All right, so he creates, he tells Moses, create this tabernacle because I want to dwell in your midst. However, because of your sin, Even now, still, you can't come in. Now, God being gracious, He provides some access because He wants to be seen. He wants to be with His people. And then He sets all of these rules. One person can come in once a year after Moses' time. The high priest can come in once a year, but he has to be clean. He has to be purified. He has to be um, following these rituals of purification in order for this one person to come into my presence once a year. And you can read through, um, I believe it's Numbers or Leviticus 16 and also into Numbers 19. And you see, um, let me, I'll, I'll just read this for you. Uh, on the Day of Atonement where Aaron or the high priest can come in, he can come in, but he has to wear a holy linen coat and an undergarment that is holy. And he shall bathe his body in water. He has to be clean before he can go into the presence of God. And you see it even further. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there are multiple sacrifices that have to be made. And after each one, this high priest has to bathe again. 
And then even throughout the people of Israel, God sets rules and standards. Say, if you touch this, if you do that, if you encounter this person, you are unclean, 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 and you got to go take a bath. Like he says that. You got to go take a bath. And you got to wash your clothes. And he sets all of these purification rituals and commandments because he's reminding them because of your sin, you can't come in. But he's being gracious to them. And he's giving them these these laws and these rituals to follow for the sake of his relationship with them. But here's this, the, the next heading of this lesson. Israel misses the big picture, right? They didn't put the, instruct, they didn't put the thing together because they weren't following the instructions properly. They didn't understand the point of the story because they were missing a piece or they just weren't paying attention. Israel gets caught up in all of this And they get caught up in the physical part. And they become a people who like to wash their hands. Basically. You see in Matthew, and there's a a section in Matthew where the, uh, the Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples and they're eating, but they, they caught them without washing their hands. And they, he says, they say to Jesus and his disciples, do you and your disciples not follow, pay attention, the traditions? Not the commands of God, but the, the traditions of washing before they eat. See, Israel missed the big picture. They got caught up in this idea of physically washing and missed the spiritual They forgot about, because of your sin, you can't come in. And they started thinking about, well, I'm actually, because I wash the way I'm supposed to, I stay away from the unclean things that I'm supposed to, I'm okay. They start to think they're something. And then they start to judge and condemn those who are not doing these things. They missed the whole point. Because of your sin, you can't come in, but I, God, can cleanse you. I, God, can cleanse you. David figured it out. Look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24, uh, starting in verse 3. This is what we read this morning. Yeah. Psalm 24 starting in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? It's a big question. His answer... Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now let's think about this for a second. Do you think that David is saying 
Those who can stand before God are those who have a pure heart and wash their hands. No. These things go together. Clean hands and a pure heart are almost one and the same thing. Clean hands is actually a fruit of a pure heart. Jesus tells these Pharisees who said, you guys didn't wash your hands before you ate. Jesus says, I'm not concerned with what's outside and coming in. I'm more concerned about what's inside and coming out. I'm concerned about the condition of your heart. And then therefore, I can see your behavior. Are your hands clean or not based on your heart? Not, oh, they're good because they wash their hands. Jesus is looking at the heart. And clean hands, what he describes clean hands in the end of verse 4 and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is those who have a pure heart and clean hands. Turn the page over a few to Psalm 51. David here again. Helps us to understand this idea of a pure heart. See, Israel wanted to be pure on the outside. And they were missing the part that in order to come in, in order to fellowship with God, in order to see God, it is the heart that had to be pure. Psalm 51 Let's just start in verse 1. Have mercy. Oh, well, let's put the context in. Look at the top of the psalm. To the choir master of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This was after his sin of adultery and murder. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Look, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. And cleanse me from my sin. Not one thing about his hands or his clothes or how he, the order that he does it in. David knows that the filth is on the inside, that he needs to be cleansed and washed thoroughly. By who? By God. For I know my transgressions in verse 3. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But you delight in truth in the inward being. He does not say, you look to see who has clean hands, and clean clothes. No, you delight in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 
Purge me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. See, God's promise, God's promise is to cleanse, to wash, to purify the inside, not the outside. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. See, Jesus is correcting their thought. He's he's reminding them of the necessity of cleansing of the inward person. And we talked about this with the new birth. This was the promise, the prophecy of Ezekiel. Let me just read this for you. And then as we conclude this morning, here is what the new, how the new birth was promised to Israel and ultimately as well to us. Not just that I will give you a new heart, as we've mentioned, but he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. This is the promise of God. And what did Jesus say to John and uh, to Nicodemus in John 3? Not just those who are born again can see the kingdom of heaven, but those who are born of water and of spirit. Those who have been cleansed by God and who have been born of the spirit this is how we are made pure this is how we become pure in heart and this is only on the basis of Jesus Christ and his work and we've read this verse a few times in the last few weeks in Titus 3 again But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appears, He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Listen to what He does. What has He done to His saints, to His believers, to His sheep? He says, according to the mercies of God, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us, Richly through Jesus Christ. Do you see how that idea of the Holy Spirit being poured is like water washing over us, cleansing us of all our uncleanliness, of all of our wickedness? The pure in heart has had the Holy Spirit poured on them and cleaned them by the mercies of God through Jesus Christ, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This is the gospel. This is the purification of sinners. This is the only way to come in. Right? You can't, or because of your sin, you can't come in. Now, here's, 
the question I want to ask. When you come to church, when you pick up your Bible, when you do a good deed, when you say your prayers, are you trying to wash your own hands? I know we've seen the, the, the doctor shows and they're about to go into surgery. And what do they do? They take their, they take their soap and they, 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 they scrub and they scrub and they scrub from the tip of their fingers to their elbows because they want to get all the uncleanliness off of them. And they scrub and they do it and then they dry off and I think they even do it again. Or we've seen those murder mystery shows where someone's committed the crime and what do they do? They've got, the, they've got the evidence all over them and they have to scrub and they scrub and they scrub to get all of it all off and they hope they can get it all off. But here's the reality. In all of your religious things, if you're just trying to scrub off the uncleanliness, if you're trying to just get rid of that sin so you can come in, if you're just working to the bone trying to make yourself clean, you can't. Your amount of religious activity, like the Pharisees, cannot cleanse you from the wickedness that is our sin and will not allow us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But only through the washing of regeneration, the blood of Christ poured out on us by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ alone. And he creates in us a clean heart. And so if you examine yourself, examine your walk and you see that I'm trying to make myself clean, then you repent. And you tell the Lord, I cannot do it. I cannot cleanse myself. I cannot make me whole. I cannot wash myself white as snow. But fall to the foot of the cross and let the blood of Christ wash over you. Peter tells the elders in um, Jerusalem, and God who knows the heart bore witness to the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Must be purified by the blood of Christ. And I love this passage in Hebrews Turn to Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to finish here. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. Keep in mind the Old Testament rituals. The high priest having to wash and to go into the, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, to pour out the blood, the sacrifice of the scapegoat, of the bulls, and to come out bloody, have to change his garments, has to wash, go back in. He's doing all this year after year after year for the sake of forgiveness of sins for Israel. Hebrews 9.11 But when Christ appeared 
as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. So that's in a reference to the tabernacle. Okay. And a more perfect tent not made with hands. Where's that tent that's not made with hands? That's in the presence of God Almighty. In the heavenly places. It is not made with hands. Not of this creation. He entered. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places. Not by the means of the blood of the goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of flesh, get this, verse 14, how much more Will the blood of Christ, whom through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will He purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Look at verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Keep this in mind. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That verse says that God will appear in Christ a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on Him. And in that moment, you will see God. You will see God as He is eternally. Without hindrance, You will see God forever. Now, the last verse I want you to see for our hope. Verse 19. Of chapter 10 in Hebrews. With all of that in mind, and, and going back to this idea that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin, they could not stay in. Those who were in the tabernacle, or those who built the tabernacle, those who built the temples, could not walk into the presence of God because of their sin. Verse 19 in chapter 10 of Hebrews shows us why we can walk in now. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that which were cut off because of sin, we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Now, the holy of holies was blocked off by a curtain. And in the temple, it was like 60 feet tall. And it was double embroidered. I don't even know. It was thick. And when Christ took his last breath, the curtain tore in two from top to bottom. And the entrance into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, swung wide open based on the life and death of Christ. Verse 20, by the new and living way that is open to us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here is what we must do. Let us draw near. The curtain is gone. The presence of God is open to us. Let us draw near. With a true heart, listen very carefully, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now tonight, I want us to just think about seeing God spiritually right now. Seeing God physically for all eternity. And to know that those who see God are transformed by God. We will will do that this evening. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer.